Welcome to the Modern Intimacy Podcast, a show about mental health, sex, relationships, education and tips, and those private things we need to talk about more publicly without restrictions. I'm your host, Dr. Kate Balistrieri, a licensed psychologist, certified sex therapist, packed couples therapist, and sex addiction therapist. I know that mental health is directly tied to the quality of our relationships and our sex lives. I'm passionate in my desire to smash stigmas and shine a light on societal issues that may be negatively affecting our lives, relationships, and sexuality. During this podcast, I will also give you practical answers and insights to questions you've been wondering about. We should all have fulfilled, happy lives, and we get there by erasing shame, consciously digging deeper, building healthy connections, and by getting curious together. Thanks for joining me. Let's get started. I would love it if you could tell our listeners a little bit about your background, who you are, how you got into this work. I think that'd be so helpful. Sure. I'm Barrett Paul. I am a professional queer Jewish-ish life coach. However, I work with people from all backgrounds and it's been an incredible experience over the last eight years. My certification is mostly in behavioral change. However, I went to school for communication and culture and media. So that's kind of where this all started at NYU for me. Um, And then when I was at NYU, um, I had friends that were like, you should model. And I was like, I'm too short to model. And they were like, just see what happens. And so I ended up submitting photos and got signed my sophomore year to a modeling agency And then while I was in school, did that as well as a few other jobs, you know, supporting myself and then graduated, moved to LA, did the whole model actor Hollywood thing. Mm -hmm. And after being there for two and a half years and experiencing a lot of really not good stuff, Mm -hmm. um, to put it lightly, Mm -hmm. decided that this was not my truth and that what I was looking for was not going to come from this. Mm -hmm. And so I went through what I call my quarter life crisis at 24 um, broke up with my first long-term like love of, you know, that I ever had, uh, decided to leave LA, move back to New York, quit the side job that I was doing at one of the local bars in West Hollywood, which was like, so, um, it was a job. A lot of people were shocked. I was like willing to just say goodbye to, cause it mm. was great, great money mm-hmm. and, uh, and really, you know, went for it all and shaved my head for the first time. Wow. Uh, yeah. I just, I, I'm someone that does change all at once. Um, <laughs> it works for me. It doesn't work for everyone, mm-hmm. but I wanted to shed a lot of things. And I think my, it's funny, the hair is very sim- symbolic because mm-hmm. it was just a huge part of that part of my career and life. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I'm getting rid of all of it. Moved back to New York, found myself professionally in uh, fitness. I started mm-hmm. working at Barry's boot camp as a boot camp instructor. Okay just trying to figure out what I wanted to do while I was also working with my social media. I was also at that point starting to uh, work privately with clients in Mm -hmm. terms of like fitness and then also project management and a food health, uh, health food startup. And all these things are like going on colliding. And then while I started doing these one-on-one, you know, physical training sessions with clients, I realized a lot of people were actually looking to go deeper and they were really looking to work more on their like mind, soul, Mm -hmm. not just the body. Mm -hmm. And so that's when I got my certifications to do what I do now. And from there, it's just been no looking back in 2016, I did an 800 mile hike on the Pacific Crest trail. Wow. And 
you know, came out of there just totally aware of the things that served me and didn't serve me. And from there decided then travel the world from 2016 to the end of 2019, where I went to the slums of Kenya. I went to Antarctica. I went to Australia. I got to do humanitarian work in pretty much every country I went to. Mm. Um, and then through all of this was grateful enough to be able to show it and, and share the experience on social media and lend my support and really stand in this advocacy activism that I think mm. is so necessary when you've been given the gift of a social platform because mm-hmm. it's a gift, you know, without the audience, the followers, it doesn't really matter too much um, what's going on. Absolutely. I mean, one of the reasons that that I was so compelled by all of the advocacy that I see you do on social media is that it's very diverse. You know, you advocate for a lot of different groups of folks, lots of different marginalized groups, and your message is always very clear. Examine your privilege, check your biases, and do the work. And I think that that is something that a lot of people strive to to communicate in their work and you really do well. I think, you know, you've been through some ups and downs in the social media process for anyone who's been following you, they are well aware. Um, But what I really appreciate is the way you stand right there and you say, okay, here's how I need to learn. And thank you for helping me see that. And that to me is really demonstrative of such a humble and productive growth mindset in, in this field. So I just want to mirror that back to you and say, thank you. Uh, thank you. Thank you for all the work you do. Again, I'm so grateful to be connected to you. And, you know, when I found you and the content that you were putting out there, which is what you do professionally as well, I was like, I have to reach out. We, we need to do something together because it's so important the way that you also mm-hmm. act as such an advocate for so many diverse groups. And the thing that I really saw more than anything was just giving women the permission and the power mm-hmm. to fully express themselves sexually. Mm-hmm not sexually, spiritually, just all the things that come together because it really is all interconnected, you know? It is. It really is. And I think that's where we really found this synergy together is understanding that that really delicate line where who gets to empower others, who gets to empower themselves? What does that even mean? And it started this conversation between the two of us where there was a recognition of the way people exploit that space, right? And so today we're going to spend some time talking about grooming. And I know that you have such a personal antidote and and story and experience that you'd like to share that really became a precursor for how you understood grooming. And I would love to help our listeners understand with a little bit more depth how somebody can be groomed, the steps that grooming predators take, and really how to make sense of that on the other side and walk through it once you recognize, oh, wow, this person's intentions were clearly not what I thought they were. Absolutely. Yeah. So can you, can you share a little bit about how you first learned about grooming? You know, it's really wild the way that it all kind of came into my existence because I still wasn't even really aware that I had been groomed till I started talking to a reporter about a pretty big story that was going on at the time mm. um, regarding, you know, sexual assaults in the fashion industry. And for anyone who doesn't know me or know me well, is I've been quite outspoken about the Um, predatory behavior within the modeling industry and how that really kind of exists throughout all entertainment, whether it's dance, acting, it's in general. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And 
I came forward with my own Me Too story in 2018. And it was really after watching a lot of women speak their truth very publicly that I felt inclined and, again, socially responsible to speak up in ways that I had been affected, but not taking space up from women in this moment as well. That was something that I was Mm -hmm. very conscious about. I was like, all these women are finally having this moment. I don't want to crowd the space or take it away from it. And that took a lot of conversations with other people being like, this story is important because we don't talk about this for men a lot. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you know, my very first photo shoot, I was sent by my agents to a photographer's house and basically was groomed throughout the photo shoot in ways that I just didn't understand until literally 11 years later, talking to people who have worked on stories like this before. Mm. And then that opened my eyes up to a lot of the ways in which just the industry in general grooms models Mm -hmm. before you're even on set. making you feel like you should be so grateful to be there, that you're so lucky to be in the industry. You're so lucky to have this job right now. Mm -hmm. There's a bajillion models that look just like you that could be doing this job, right? Like Mm -hmm. the gratitude that you're so lucky and the industry as a whole very much preys on a lot of young people who have family dynamics that aren't the healthiest or that are looking for a sense of family. Mm -hmm. Um, And the more that I see people speak out, the more I'm like, there's definitely a system to all of this. Yeah, there absolutely is. And and maybe it would be helpful for listeners to to get a better understanding of some of those steps that that predators take with grooming. So first, they tend to identify a prospective victim, right? And just as you said, they look for people who generally are a little bit less sophisticated or worldly. Um, So that usually means younger folks Mm -hmm. because we don't have worldly experience until we've lived in the world for a while. Yes. Um, And they look for people with specific kinds of vulnerabilities that they think would be easy to exploit or take advantage of in some way. Once they've identified a prospective victim, they start to build trust. And that's really important because for the most part, you know, people will recognize something that overtly seems, you know, uncouth or unsafe and say, no, thanks. I'm going to set a boundary here. But with grooming, the intention is to create trust and safety or the illusion of it first, then That sets the stage for what comes next, which is fostering that dependence. And I'm hearing what you're saying. They were ingratiating you and telling you you're so lucky. And then also creating this sense of obligation and duty to the industry, to this position, to the person that you were working with in that moment. You have to be so grateful, just as if as if to imply you would never get an opportunity like that again. Absolutely. And you know, the big one for me in my journey was that financial insecurity, which is what mm. a lot of people prey upon. You right. know, I think a, a lot of people hear, you know, grooming or trafficking or whatever, and they go, this would never happen to me. It, it looks like it looks in the movies, which is often not the case at all. Right. Um, and as you said, it's, it's building the illusion of trust. I think that mm-hmm. that word illusion is so important because mm-hmm. to you it's real, but the other person right. knows exactly what they're doing. And it's, it's a facade. It's not real trust. And they're again, preying on your, you know, you mentioned young people. I was 19 when this happened just mm-hmm. the first time you're innocent, you're young, you're, you know, doe eyed and green and excited for the world at hand. And you think there's all these people who want to help you. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And just remember being such a young one and, you know, having some of those same beliefs and I can see in the way you're speaking about it, that there's some real feeling there. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, 
when you're young and trusting, which I was, it's a real wake up call Mm -hmm. um, to realize that a lot of people don't have the best intentions out there. And unfortunately, just because it happens to you once and you think it's not going to happen again, it it, it often can and does. I think that's Mm -hmm. another big one that, you know, we think we learn and then it presents itself again in another way. And you're like, I thought I learned and how that really just like wears on you. And as someone who has an optimistic outtake on the world and wants to see the world heal and do well, having your trust just ripped apart is really, really tough on one soul. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So when you started to recognize that, that people did not have your best interests in mind, I wonder how you started to make that shift and, and what was necessary for you to kind of move outside of that, that. Mm, just that, that awareness and the pain that comes with that. You know, it took years. You know, okay. I started modeling when I was 19 at college and I had a very, you know, kind of strict rule with myself that school came first. I was putting mm-hmm. myself through NYU and NYU was not cheap. So I was like, I'm going to make sure I get my, my classes done. Like, you know, stuff comes second mm-hmm. to school. And then when I graduated and moved out to California, I had done so thinking that I had met a manager slash agent via another model um, where long story short, that person had actually catfished me, the manager pretending to be the model. And I had gone out there without ever meeting them in real life, but having lots of phone calls, again, grooming over months Mm -hmm. and months and months. And, Mm -hmm. you know, you're on hold for this job. And then I would never get the job. Lots of like, you're on hold, you're on hold. Oh, you, you, you just missed it. Like they, they went with someone else. And again, that's often how the industry really works. So what did I know? Mm -hmm. But there's red flags, you know, asking about like, like certain parts of my body that were just Mm -hmm. completely inappropriate to any part of modeling where I was like this, what, what does like my dick size have to do with anything for any job? Yeah. Um, And then asking me to pay $150 for three photo shoots where I had learned pretty early on that like test shoots are supposed to be free. You're not supposed to pay. And, you know, being young and green and trusting, you go, Mm -hmm. okay, like maybe this is just something I don't understand. Well, and this is a really great example of the next step in grooming where people start to push boundaries, right? And they do it in these small ways that do often mimic what somebody would expect in real life or what could be a plausible next step because they're testing to see how you react and they're testing to see what they can get away with. Absolutely. And this specific story, I haven't spoken too much about publicly, but I'm very comfortable talking about it. Okay. Um, but then I, you know, graduated from school, spent mm-hmm. like a couple of weeks in New York and then flew out to LA to meet this person, you know, who was my, my manager at the point. Mm-hmm. And he picked me up from the airport in, you know, a car that just, again, from my own preconceived notions, like if this person claims to be doing really well and successful, I was just like, interesting, like this passenger door didn't open. I had to climb through the front, like his door to get into the passenger seat. We got to his Mm. apartment, which was a studio apartment with no kitchen and Mm -hmm. just a big bed and a futon. And then when I went to, you know, stay with him, I I assumed I'd sleep on the futon. He goes, well, that's hard to open and close. So Mm. then I'm basically like told, you can just sleep with me. It's not a big deal. Mm. And I'm like, I just met you. Like, this Mm -hmm. is so uncomfortable. Um, but he had also other models he worked with and one of them was there and that one was doing well. So you start to tell yourself like, this is okay. Like Mm -hmm. ignoring all the red flags. And then over the course of three weeks, I ended up shooting with certain photographers that he had introduced me to, which again, looking back and being 34, not 19, 
I would have had the opportunity to meet anyways. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it being like, look what I've presented to you. This right. is again, lucky, grateful. Yeah. Yeah. Without me, you would have none of this. Exactly. Yeah. And, and then I was on set for one of the photo shoots with one of the photographers who I thought I had paid, you know, $50 to work with mm-hmm. 153 photographers. And I'm talking to the photographer and we're, you know, I'm chatty and he's telling me how things are going. Okay. And I'm like, yeah, but you know, you seem to be doing well. You shoot a lot. You're getting paid for this right now. And he's like, I'm not getting paid. And that was like the moment where I was like, I'm done because in those three weeks living with this person who was my manager, mm-hmm. I had been gaslit and I could just smell it and feel it. And it just became more and more prevalent And I was like, I'm 22. This is not my big break. If like, this is what I have to deal with. I have Mm -hmm. a college education. Like I'm okay walking away from this. Mm -hmm. And I, and what I came to find out later is that this person had been doing this for years and continued to do it for years after. And I think still is doing it today. Wow. Yeah. And um, so I had the photographer and the photo shoot drive me back to that apartment. I knew where the person kept a spare key, got my luggage, and then went to another person's home who I had barely known who I Mm -hmm. met while I was fresh in LA. And then that person, you know, offered me what I thought was a safe space to sleep on their couch and then also tried to like put moves on me. And so it was just like, Mm. for me, Hollywood and modeling was kind of just a string of people always kind of preying on me and my like innocence naivety and Mm. thinking that people were genuinely looking to help when they usually had alternative, alternative motives. So I'm not the biggest fan of the industry. I think that there's some great stuff that comes out of it, but Mm -hmm. there's a lot of change happening, but I, I will continue to speak out on it for all the different things that have happened and that I know still go on today. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being willing to talk about that experience that you had. And I'm so sorry that you went (sighs) through that. It's hard to have your dreams shattered, you know, and and so many people think that when they go to Hollywood or when they get that modeling contract, that's their big break. And that's exactly what predators prey on. And they, they use to manipulate people into saying yes to things that they might have otherwise said no to. Absolutely. And that's, you know, the biggest thing that I hope young people that are looking to get into this industry really recognize Mm -hmm. is that just because you get, you know, a contract or a job in the Mm -hmm. industry does not mean that it's like going to be success from there. You know, a lot of people are willing to take your picture for free and help you build your portfolio, but then also expect you to do things that you never thought you would do as Mm -hmm. trade for their, you know, free work. Um, So what would you recommend to people who are trying to get into this industry to keep themselves as protected as they can? my first answer is just don't. Um, I I know that that's not what most people want to hear, but when people genuinely ask me, is it worth it? I say, personally, I don't think so. Okay. The catch 22. Cause I, you know, I spent almost 10 years in it. And so it's easy to say that now, but I know realistically, a lot of people will want to get into it and there are important ways to protect yourself. And the biggest one is to trust your intuitions. Mm -hmm. When something does not feel right and you feel uncomfortable I don't care if you're getting paid, if you're not getting paid, walk away. That's Mm. not the make it or break it moment in your career, especially now with the power of social media, you can promote yourself. You can figure out a lot of things on your own. Mm -hmm. I say, you know, social media, put the power back into my hands. Mm -hmm. And that's where I really start to see the change in my career. 
and using it the ways in which I had hoped managers and agents in traditional modeling and acting would have used it with me. Yeah, that's great. That's really great. And so, so important because I think part of the thing that happens that's so insidious with grooming is that the predator gets people to start disbelieving their own reality. And gaslighting is such a big part of that. But it, it, it is really, really important that the person who's being groomed trust the manipulator or trust the predator. So that person will go out of their way to facilitate this impression of themselves that is helpful, generous, benevolent, and often, you know, create doubt in the person who is perceiving them and feels wonky about what's going on. The other thing that I might encourage people to do is really invest in working with an attorney or even maybe accessing some um, you know, uh, legal schools to see if there are volunteers who can help review contracts and make sure that you are aware of what you're getting into and you know how to vet people in the industry. And that can be really hard sometimes and daunting for people who are new to the industry. But even bringing a contract or asking for a contract can be enough to um, scare away somebody who has no intentions of working with you for real. Absolutely. And going off of that, you know, there was moments presented to me where I was supposed to sign like um, release agreements for mm-hmm. my photos. Mm-hmm. You don't have to sign those. You're If you're like in a real, you know, c- career or job within the industry and you have people looking out for you, they'll let you know if you actually have to sign any of this. And most of the time, that's not something you have to sign. That's something mm-hmm. that your agents and managers will, will deal with. Um, a lot of people who, you know, claim to be these photographers that aren't really in the industry and are using it for something else will have you sign those things. My biggest piece of advice is don't sign them. You know, Mm. worst case scenario, you don't get those photos. That's frustrating. But I look back and I go, I would have been fine without most of those photos. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, the other one is, you know, when it comes to the industry and the legalities, um, and contracts, a lot of agents will, you know, try to sign you for three years and mm. you can get out of those things, but then you can end up, you know, blackballed, meaning that you, you won't be able to work in the industry. I really recommend people saying, is there a way to try it out for, you know, six months and then we can go from there? Or is there a year contract we can sign? The three-year thing, in my opinion, is their way of kind of holding you hostage to their agency. And a lot of agents will just kind of stockpile models so that you're not even competing with their big money earners. Oh, that's interesting. What would be their motive there just to keep you from working elsewhere or something else? Yeah. I mean, essentially, if they have people that are working a lot in their agency and you come along and could be a fresh new face... And they have created this, again, probably inappropriate relationship with one of the the models or the Mm -hmm. talent. Mm -hmm. They're not going to want that to stop because they're most like, like, again, I'm generalizing. And I know that a lot of people will argue or say, you don't know this for sure, but I was in the industry deep for years. There's a lot of inappropriate relationships going on between like the talent that are really working and those agents and managers. And it's usually more beneficial for the manager or agent than it is for the talent when it comes to a lot of the stuff that they're being preyed upon. Mm. And sadly, as I talk to a lot of models that have left the industry, we all kind of share a lot of the same story Mm -hmm. and none of us realized it was happening while we were in it. And there's a point where you start to realize it, but you go, this is my source of income. Like, how do I walk away from this? And that's Mm -hmm. how they prey on you. 
mm-hmm. even farther because a lot of the times you don't get paid until 90 days after you know, you, the agency has been paid because they're back paying people because all of it runs kind of on like a, not a credit system, but the, you know, the money that I would earn was mm-hmm. not being paid to me. It would go to someone else who's waiting for their money. And then it would go mm-hmm. eventually to me because someone else finally got, you know, a job and they got paid for that. The, the ins and outs of all of it are truly just not ever in favor of the talent. And that's why there's no, um, union and it's been incredibly difficult to create a union. Mm-hmm. And there's people who have been working on this for years. There's the mm-hmm. model Alliance, New York city. That's like mm-hmm. one of the great organization to look into. If you're really serious about getting into this, or you've had a bad experience in the industry, please reach out to them. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's there's great. a lot of people adamantly working against having models be considered, you know, employees, everyone's a freelancer so that your manager's in control of everything until they don't want to be. And they're not responsible for you at any point. They deem that that's, you know, what they, that they outside. want. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really about using and abusing a lot of young people who have these big hopes and dreams and the media sells them like, this is going to happen for you too. And, you know, my first, I, I, one of the first jobs I, I booked was um, a Calvin Klein editorial. And I remember mm-hmm. being like Calvin Klein, like that's going to be some serious money. And like, what a great name. Well, it was for a, a fashion magazine that wasn't super well known and it was Calvin Klein clothes, but it wasn't through Calvin Klein. And so I spent the whole day working for totally free in uncomfortable positions and uncomfortable oh, environment. No. And I like, don't even think I ever saw those photos. Oh my gosh. And that's super routine. That's super common. You know, part of the industry is that you, you have to work for free. You have to build your portfolio. You have to build your name. And then if you're lucky, you'll hit a campaign and that's where money starts to come in. Mm-hmm. But the industry also works in a cycle of like what's deemed trendy and cool. And mm-hmm. that often means like humans looks. So right now you yeah. might be like what's in and then next season, it's something completely different than you. You stop working altogether. And a lot of yeah. models leave the industry in debt to their agents. That is just really um, surprising to hear. Uh, you you think about the modeling industry as being so glamorous and and people getting so many perks and being so adored and so pampered, um, but I'm hearing from you that it's really not like that at all behind the curtain. It's not at all. Again, I mm-hmm. went in there thinking that like this was my opportunity, and this is a lot of the models who I've spoken to as well to like help our families out. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, like my family my parents were very irresponsible financially. And so I have been working since I was 14 in some way. And I was like, this is the way that I'm going to like all of a sudden make a bunch of money, pay for my school, send some home, like really help out. And then very quickly it became apparent that I was going to be doing a lot of stuff for free Mm. and I should be grateful to even have those opportunities. And then a job would come up where I'm on set and I'm told, you know, we don't talk about money that's inappropriate by your agents because Mm. then you start talking to the other models and you're like, well, how much are you getting paid to be here? And we're doing the same work, but I'm making half of what you're making. Like, how does this Mm -hmm. make sense? Right, right. So the industry definitely uses a lot of tactics that predators use Mm -hmm. to keep you complacent and feeling like the best metaphor I can use is, you know, when there's like, a horse and there's a string and a carrot's dangling. And you're like, you're mm-hmm. so close to the carrot. You're so close. You're so close. <laughs> right. And you never get the carrot. You never do. No. I mean, that's, that's probably the final stage in the grooming. Not probably. It is the final stage in grooming um, where the person who is doing the predatory behavior 
keeps control over you. Usually that's done with isolation, fear tactics. Don't talk to the other models. You know, you may lose this job. You won't get work again. All of those strategies are designed to keep people quiet and complacent and compliant and tolerant of whatever is being done to them. Yes. And, you know, even in the industry, meeting other models who I thought had my back, Mm-hmm. You know, I like, again, talking to a reporter, realized that I had been groomed to t- into things that I would have never even thought about had it not mm-hmm. been for someone who felt like an older brother to me. You know, mm-hmm. like, here's this guy who's tall, he's handsome, he's doing some cool things. He, he's got my back. He's helping me, you know, figure out my life in LA and like, this mm-hmm. is what he has done. And so it makes sense. And all of a sudden you're like, this person's like not that nice. And now that I'm like pushing back a little bit and asking questions, they're kind of, you know, spinning things. And at the time I had no idea what gaslighting was, but it was like mm-hmm. full blown gaslighting. Mm-hmm. And then you like, look at the general public. And unfortunately for me within my own queer space, a lot of queer men have kind of, you know, watched me grow up through social Mm. media. I was 20, 23, 24 when I really started to have a platform. I'm now 30, I'll be 34 in a month, 10 years. And as I've shifted and changed and like come into my own and really started to value, you know, the work outside of all of this stuff, there's a lot of people that don't want to watch me change and grow. And I kind of joke, put my shirt on, Mm-hmm. No, I was like my first, my first career out of college was an underwear model. Like mm-hmm. I have to look back and laugh a little bit. <laughs> That's not something that I think is sustainable for anyone long-term. Um, right. And it's not something that I wanted really ever. It was just something that presented itself. I was a swimmer being in your underwear was fine to me. It was at some points fun and exciting. You know, some of the opportunities mm-hmm. are cool, but mm-hmm. the way in which culture kind of gaslights people into being like, this is who you're supposed to be. This is how we know you. Mm -hmm. It's another part of the problem where we need to look at ways in which we're facilitating the industries Mm -hmm. to continue this predatory behavior, because we all have a part to play in it. That's such a good point. And, And it applies to all of the different systems of thinking and systems of behaving that we uphold as a culture. It really does behoove us to look at our own part and think about however uncomfortable it may be, how might we be complicit in a system if we're quiet or if we're not educating ourselves? Um, How might we be benefiting from some of these systems that are in play? And that's a bitter pill to swallow because, you know, most of us don't want to think that we're bad people or that we've done anything to hurt anyone else. But when we're quiet about these kinds of dynamics, it does allow them to continue. It's also really scary sometimes to think about going up against a powerful force that is, for example, the modeling industry or, you know, any kind of um, big system that has a lot of resources, a lot of money, a lot of power, and the ability to clip someone's trajectory professionally. And even though there are sometimes laws in place, depending on where you live and the industry that you're in that prevent retaliation, it happens. So there are some real ecological fears. I wonder if you've encountered anything like that as you've been now calling out this behavior more vocally. Yeah. You know, the first time I started speaking out about the modeling industry and just again, going off my own experience Mm -hmm. was 2014, 2015. So before, you know, people really knew what Me Too was, 
Mm-hmm. Um, although the, I believe the woman who started the Me Too movement started in 2014. I could mm-hmm. be wrong about that. That sounds close. I, I can't remember exactly either. Um, and I posted a video on YouTube just kind of being like, this is that moment where I just say, fuck it. Like, I mm. literally know that this is going to bring problems to me in terms of my career. I had a conversation with my agents at the time who were probably the best agents I had during my time in the industry. Mm-hmm. And they were like, you know, we support you to do what you want to do. This is your career. Um, but yeah, there's probably going to be some sort of repercussions to this. And when I finally spoke to the advocate, which was the publication that did the story on my Me Too experience, the first one, I should say, because I'm working on some other things about other experiences I've had. Mm-hmm. And they were the first people who looked at me and called me a survivor. And that completely broke me because I had never thought of myself in that terms. Because I also didn't want to be a victim. I was like, you know, mm-hmm. I'm just someone who's getting through stuff. And I have this deep, dark secret that I will never talk about. And 11 years later, I'm sitting, you know, in paper magazines headquarters talking to some of the, you know, high ups there because I had friends that worked there and they were very helpful in the kind of guiding me to the advocate. Mm-hmm. And then, um, you know, when a story like this is done, good reporters, proper journalism reaches out to the other side for a statement. You know, it can't just be what I say. Right. And when the photographer got wind of what was going on, started reaching out to me mm. and started, you know, trying to, kind of groom me again into submission about, you know, I thought we had such a good time on that photo shoot. You know, I've been such a fan of you for so long. I, you know, was the first person to shoot you and I really believed in you. And, you know, um, the thing that came actually even before this, that's where it all kind of comes back to your point about that retaliation thing was he had had, he had taken photos of me that I, you know, walked in there, not prepared to take. They are, overtly it's basically softcore porn where like he got me hard and wet me down and like oiled me up and was like you know we don't have to show your face but this is what all the models do in exchange for their photos Mm. this is how you know this works um and i had seen his portfolio and i had seen some of the biggest male models who i looked up to at the time Mm -hmm. shoot with him so i was like okay and you know Mm -hmm. he has this book that he has made of all these like essentially male models, you know, like in softcore porn. Mm. Um, and I had messaged him the next day being like, you know, I was really uncomfortable with those photos, but still wanting to play like nice. Cause I think I have to be so grateful for these experiences. And he's like, you know, I won't use those photos. And, you know, again, kind of being like, I'm a good guy. Right. I've like, I've, you know, sexually abused you, but like, I'm a good guy. Mm. And you're like, okay, you know, mm-hmm. thank you. Mm-hmm. So when he got wind of this story coming forward, he reached out to me being like, I have a new book coming out and I was thinking about using your photos and I wanted to talk to you first. And I didn't respond Mm. because I knew, I knew exactly what was going on at this point. I was much older and wiser and I'd been through the gambit in the industry. So for somebody listening who maybe doesn't know what was going on at that point, what were, what did you think was happening? From the photographer? Yeah. That he was trying to manipulate me into a conversation about what was going on. Mm-hmm. And, you know, offered to talk to me in real life at a coffee shop. He didn't want mm-hmm. to send out anything over, you know, email because he had too many things he wanted to say. Mm-hmm. And then it was a string of phone calls and emails that I just would not respond to. Mm-hmm. Um, you think and, he was trying to backdoor your consent? 
Yes, for sure. Mm -hmm. And also trying to spin it as if it wasn't a sexual assault. Mm -hmm. And it was just something that happened between an older gay man and a younger gay man. And, you know, for other people who are, you know, listening to this and don't maybe know me, I didn't come out till I was 24 publicly. Mm -hmm. This happened when I was 19. This was the first thing I ever had happened with another man that Mm -hmm. I was not prepared for. And I very much say he stole my first experience um, in any kind of respect to that queer experience. I'm so sorry that happened to you. I appreciate that a lot. It's sadly far more common the more I talk about this publicly that older gay men will prey on younger gay men who are essentially looking for a role model, a mentor. And they see, you know, this person who is older and could show them the ropes. This is not what it was for me with this photographer, but in general, Mm -hmm. um, and then they prey upon them in different ways. Yeah. And again, having this conversation quite publicly, a lot of gay men have not been pleased about this because they're having to look at their own behavior. Right. Um, so, uh, you know, in the end, the photographer made a statement to the publication and then right before it was about to go like live retracted it and just went with no comment. Um, Mm -hmm. and I'm sure he was advised to do that by some of his friends who are also, you know, known predators in the industry and who have also been called out Mm -hmm. by other models, you know? So it's, uh, it's a very carefully orchestrated, web that has been woven in the modeling space, specifically Mm -hmm. the one I talk about is male modeling, but I know that female models have the same stuff going on. I don't want to say it's worse because it's all awful. It's Um, all awful. Yes. Yeah. What would be your hope or what is your hope in, in talking so publicly about all of this? My hope more than anything is to at least educate the people who are going into this industry to, just think twice to ask questions and to prevent anyone from going through any of the experiences I've gone through. You know, Mm -hmm. that was the big one for me is that I had all these young men who looked up to me and Mm -hmm. wanted to emulate my career. And I'm sitting here showing the beautiful highlight reel, not talking about how dark it was to get to this beautiful fake highlight reel. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like here's this beautiful photo, but you don't know what happened while I was on set. And, And realistically, I knew I was sending young men uh, and maybe women into these predators dens. You know, this photo shoot happened in this person's home right off the bat. There's an imbalance of power. That's his studio. You know, I'm sitting there getting my hair and my makeup done thinking on my first photo shoot, there's going to be a hair, uh, a makeup artist and a, and um, like a hairstylist. Mm -hmm. He's the one doing my makeup and my hair. And I, you know, I, I ask, you know, I just assumed there'd be someone to do this stuff. And he's like, Oh, you know, I know what I want. I've been doing this for so long. It's just easier this way. Again, looking back and grooming, he's getting me comfortable being touched by him. Exactly. Yeah. It's these little things that if you've never been in the industry, you show up on set and you're like, I don't know what's going on. Like I have, this is how it works, I guess. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's another big one is if you're going to someone's apartment or you're going to a job that, you know, is not done by a big production company, even if it is, bring a friend. And if they have an issue with you bringing a friend, then that's a red flag right off the bat. Yep. That's great advice. And so, so important, you know, especially because there are so many more people who are doing things on their own in this gig economy. So there might be a great opportunity to work with someone who doesn't have access to a big production company or production studio. So bringing along somebody sends a very clear message that I'm here to work. 
I'm not yes. here for anything else. Yes. And there's accountability here and yes. we're going to be safe. And that's a great way to signal to predators that you're not someone that they can take advantage of. Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. if you don't feel comfortable asking for that or just showing up with a friend without even telling the person, because that's another option. Like once a friend's there, they can't be like your friend needs to leave. That's when you go, well, then I'm leaving too. <laughs> right. right. So I'm almost like, right. don't even ask. Yeah. Um, and if someone wants to say it's unprofessional, be like, well, what's unprofessional about having like a team? You have a team. I needed a team too. Right. Um, and the thing that really puts this all into like, I think a full picture for a lot of people is this photographer, the one that I've been talking the most about during this time together, reached out to me before I had my managers and agents. And I did not get a good vibe. He had asked to shoot me, you know, in sexy ways that I was like, you know, I don't feel comfortable with this. Thank you for the opportunity, but good luck. Fast forward, you know, I end up with my agents and they're the ones who comfort me in saying, you know, no, no, like this is just how he shoots. You're going to go there. It's going to be great. Mm. My gut instincts right off the bat before I had my agents was right. Then I had agents who, again, I thought were there to protect me. And why I'm sharing this bit to the story is that those agents had perpetually, at least one of them, that I, the one that I had, had perpetually mm. sent men to him knowing full well what was going on. Mm. I'll never get that admission, but it's beyond obvious. Because as I hear from other models that, you know, oh yeah, I heard stories and like people tell me. So I at least had like, you know, a red flag walking in there of how to handle him. Mm. He never touched me, but he said, you know, creepy things to me. Mm -hmm. That agent then went on to be like the head agent as a, at a whole other new agency that essentially became a front for a prostitution ring, you know, uh -huh. and I, I can't with evidence and facts show a hundred percent that this is what's going on because of how well this industry protects itself and each other. Mm -hmm. But you talk to mo other models and there's strings of people who know exactly what's going on with mm -hmm. all these different people. And I guess to go back to the question that presented this all, the hope is that we stop supporting predators. Yeah. There are so many talented, incredible people in these industries that don't have these records. So why are we continuing to use people that we know for fact are doing these things? Because it's not one person coming forward. It's multiple people coming forward. Yeah. And there's accounts like shit models management that has a whole list of photographers who have been reported by models. And then they add an asterisk to the name. If it's been over four reports. Wow. Okay. So, so that's a good resource to know. If, you know, yes. if somebody's on that list, that might give you pause to to reconsider or package in some extra safety, you know, uh, yes. safety mechanisms or or accountability factors. Yeah. And yeah, I don't know who runs that account. They're anonymous. I've spoken to them, you know, in direct messages, but I get mm -hmm. no idea who it is. And it's, it's a model. Um, but that's the, the thing is like the models are having to do all the work that the managers and agents should already be doing, mm. but then you realize the managers and agents are kind of all in on it. And so it's like, what is the point? Mm. Yeah. Wow. The point is safety. <laughs> safety. Yeah. yeah. So, so last question for you. Um, when you started to really unpack what happened to you, what was the impact on you and how did you move through that? <sighs> Big breath because it was, it was a lot. Yeah. You know, I had kept my sexual assault to myself for about a year until a very good friend of mine um, revealed something to me about herself. 
And I was like, okay, this is a safe space. I want to tell you something that I've been through. And we just had like a cry together. And it was, mm. it was healing because speaking about what's happened to you lets you take back the narrative and own what's happened and remove mm-hmm. the power from the predator and predators continue get to, to be predators and prey on people because of silence. You know, the more that we speak up, the more that they're going to be held accountable and the more that they're going to have to face the actions that they themselves have done. Cause it's never your fault. Anyone who's listening to this, that's been through this, it is not your fault. I don't, no matter what you may think, it's not your fault what has happened. And the unpacking really is a long process that I don't think is ever fully done. Mm-hmm. Healing is a lifelong journey. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the quotes that I live by now is from Gloria Steinem that the final stage of healing is helping others heal. That is healing in itself. Mm-hmm. But before so you get, uh, it's just like so impactful <laughs> and so great. Yeah. But before you get to that stage, you have to really sit and allow yourself all the messy parts that come in healing because it's not just a pretty linear line. And I thought I was healed. I thought I was, you know, at a great place. And I spoke about this in 2018. And then stories about Alexander Wang came out Mm -hmm. in 2020, I believe. Mm -hmm. And again, I'm very outspoken about the industry and I lent my support to the survivors who stepped forwards. And, um, uh, another publication that is quite well-known reached out to me and we had an hour long conversation. And then I revealed, you know, something that they might find interesting, a story I had from my past that I haven't really spoken about yet. And they were kind of like, this is a really important story. Mm -hmm. And that's when I was, you know, kind of explained how I had been, groomed and trafficked Mm. in the industry in a way that I had never connected those dots for myself. And it kind of, it didn't, it didn't cause any setbacks. It didn't like shake my world. But in that moment, I couldn't help but cry because it was just like an overwhelming sense of like, oh my God, for all these years, I thought I had been like consenting to this, but I had been groomed into this experience. Mm. And it was clear as day once the the blindfold had been removed and the the right language had been given to me. Yeah. Yeah. I really appreciate you saying that and, and so appreciate how challenging that can be to all of a sudden have those I's get dotted and those T's get crossed and make that connection of just how insidious the victimization can be. Um, And like you said earlier, you don't want to think of yourself as a victim. I think that's true for so, so many people. And it shields our perception sometimes from recognizing these kinds of behaviors because we don't want to imagine ourselves to be this vulnerable. But really intelligent people get groomed and taken advantage of. Very strong people get groomed and taken advantage of. It's not only the vulnerable folks, because even yes. the people who are smart and and um, strong in many ways have vulnerabilities. So people who are looking to exploit find an Achilles heel in a victim and they exploit that. So no one is outside of reach from this kind of behavior. Absolutely. And the thing that I hope people really understand is that you may, you know, recognize one way in which this has happened to you. And then another kind of predator comes along and Mm -hmm. does something similar. And that will like, for me, that was the big one where, you know, more recently I had someone who I thought was like another friend Mm -hmm. um, and a woman and a woman of color who just totally preyed upon me. 
mm. um, in a way that I did not see coming because it wasn't through like sexual means or mm. the things that I'd already experienced. And so mm-hmm. that was just really, that was pretty traumatic. And then again, another set of healing comes and another set of learning and lessons comes, which I'm grateful mm. for now that I'm out of the experience. Um, and I'm just really trying to like, think of the one, like, pr- like pretty way to wrap it up <laughs> as we come to this end. But I, I really hope people understand that predators usually have been doing this for a while yes. and they have their tactics as we explained in the grooming, as you've done such a beautiful job explaining those things. And they know how to find many different kinds of people's weaknesses. So please just remember that you have to protect yourself at the end of the day. And really, I said this once, but I'm going to say it again. If something doesn't feel right, trust that intuition. Mm-hmm. That's so, so wise. Thank you so much for coming on my podcast and sharing the experiences that you've had and the wisdom that you've gained as a result of the healing. I, I really cannot thank you enough for stepping forward and talking about this really important um really important uh, red flag in the industry that needs to be addressed. And I wonder if people want to get a hold of you, if they want to follow you on social media and get involved with any of your advocacy, how do they find you? Well, first, thank you for creating the safe space. Mm-hmm. Again, all the different people you speak with and all the different topics you talk about are so important. So I'm really humbled and grateful to be a part of this journey that you've created. Mm-hmm. Um, if you would like to get in touch with me, please feel free to reach out to me on any of social media, YouTube, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter. My handle is all the same. It's Barrett Paul, my name, B-A-R-R-E-T-T-P-A-L-L. Um, if you'd like to you know, get in touch with me uh, via email, my website, Artisan and King, um, has it nice and easy to get in touch with me there in the contact section. And yeah, please feel free to reach out for any questions. I'm more than happy to help people kind of journey through what they're going through and point them in the right direction of other people who are doing this work. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of amazing people doing a lot of amazing things such as yourself when it comes to breaking down Mm -hmm. the things that need to be broken down right now. And I I mentioned Model Alliance New York City. I believe Mm -hmm. that's their their website name is modelalliancenyc.com. Okay. If not, you can just Google Model Alliance NYC, but you don't need to be based in New York City to get in touch with them and have them help. And they have a team of lawyers. They're Mm -hmm. also, you know, there to help guide people in what might be the best uh, way to move forward in any kind of situation you may have, whether it's again, financial preying or sexual abuse or whatever the case may be in the Mm -hmm. industry. Yeah. Well, again, thank you so much, Barrett. And I'll make sure to put copies of those resources or links to those resources in the show notes for anybody who is looking to access them. And thank you so much for listening to another episode of Modern Intimacy. Catch us next week. Thank you for listening to the Modern Intimacy podcast. On Instagram, follow me at Dr. Kate Balistrieri and at The Modern Intimacy. On TikTok, check me out at Dr. Kate Balistrieri and on Twitter at Kate Balistrieri. Everyone has questions about mental health, sex, and relationships. Send yours to me via DM on Instagram or email them to questions at modernintimacy.com and I'll answer some at the end of each episode. Visit the website modernintimacy.com to schedule a consultation with a member of our team or to sign up for our newsletter. 
Let's meet back here next week. New episodes air every Tuesday. Reminder, this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only and is not a substitute for mental health services. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.